is Tim. Usually I help with children's ministry downstairs. So they said, let's bring children's ministry to big church. So that's what I'm doing today. Actually, I'm going to teach you on agronomy. Okay, this is a corn plant I just pulled out of our field this morning. And I want you just to kind of look at it. At the top of it, there's the tassel. That drops the pollen. It lands on the fruit right here. Most people call this an ear of corn. Well, this is the fruit that the corn produces. When this corn plant is planted, when it's really young, this is all it wants to do. Produce fruit, produce fruit, produce fruit. That's what its head thinks of. But I want you to focus on this thing. We call this right here the root ball. Okay? Now, farmers know, actually that a corn plant, when it is young in the ground, let's say you put the seed in there, when it gets about this high, I would call that kindergarten or first grade, I'd call it grade school, in corn years. This corn plant is a roughly around 60 years old in corn years, okay? It's only like five months old, but in human years, okay. What a farmer knows is when a corn plant is planted, it's about in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, it's lazy. This corn plant is naturally, inherently lazy. And if it is blessed with all the food it needs, all the water it needs, these roots get in about six inches of soil, and they just lay here and go like this. It's like, oh, I got life easy. I get lots of water in the rain. I got food. The farmer gives me fertilizer. And those, that plant is lazy. Sometimes farmers actually ask God to hold back some of the blessings, like hold back rain, when they're in kindergarten or first grade or second grade, because the farmer knows how important it is to have a solid root system, if you withhold some of that nutrients, some of that rain, some of that food, these corn plants, instead of doing this, just sitting there lazy, they turn and they start doing this. And the farmer knows that later in life, when this corn plant gets to be 60 and 70 years old, there's going to be tough times come, okay? So he wants that corn plant to put in the time, put in the effort, put in the commitment to find its own food, find its own water. So when tough times come, it can hang in there. It won't fall over. It won't wilt. It won't give up. Now, look what happens if this corn plant stays like this. Roots like this. August is almost here. August is a hot month. It dries up. If the corn plants are only, the roots are only in that much soil, eh, somebody give me a drink of water. I'm dying here. And you'll start seeing its leaves start wilting. You'll see it kind of turn a gray color. And that's what's happening because the roots didn't go this way to find the living water that's way down there. Or a windstorm. All of you guys have seen that. In a corn plant's life, wind comes along. Woo! How fast does that happen? You can drive around and you can see some fields with 16 rows flat on the ground and then 16 rows it's standing. 16 rows flat on the ground. 16 rows standing. That farmer understands how important you have to have roots to find your own food, find your own water, so that when life comes at this corn plant later, it doesn't give up and fall over. That kind of reminds me of a story, true story. We tell stories in children's ministry, and every story is true because it comes from God's word, the Bible. Here's the story. Back about 2,600 years ago, Okay, the Israelites were having life made. They were lazy. They were sitting in their recliners and their roots weren't very deep. It was like, oh yeah, I got life easy. I got a good job. I got a nice car. I got my air conditioning. Just turn it on when it gets hot so that heat won't make me thirsty. And that's what the Israelites were doing. Well, God knew the tough times were coming. 
So God uses people like Jeremiah as a prophet. A prophet back in those days, 2,600 years ago, a prophet took the word from God Gave it to him and he would give it to the people. So Jeremiah was given this task to let the Israelites know the chosen children of God. See, okay, from the beginning of time, God chose this nation, the Jewish nation, the Hebrew people, the Israelites. He chose them. And here was God's plan from the beginning of time. I'm going to take you as a blessed nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you, never forsake you. But I'm going to put you in the middle of a pagan community. I'm going to put you in areas where, where people don't know God. And what you need to do as my children, you need to flourish and show, God, show the people what God's like. All through time. Israelites would be put in some captivity. All through time, Israelites would be put in tough times, famines, all through time. And God's plan has not changed. God's plan is the same today. Do you understand, kindergartners, first graders, maybe you're at home watching, maybe you're here. Do you understand that you are now God's chosen children? And God's plan does not change for you just because it's 2020. God's plan is the same for us. We go into exile. God allows exile to happen for us to flourish in the middle of exile. So what does that look like? These Israelites were laying here like this. Oh, I got life so easy. Here's what they were doing. If I wanted a new car, I'd pray to the car God. If I wanted some food, I'd pray to the food God. If I wanted a new bicycle, I'd pray to the bicycle God. If I wanted a Barbie doll, I'd pray to the Barbie doll God. If I wanted like an Xbox, I'd pray to the Xbox God. Wait, no, no. There wasn't Xbox back then. It was Atari. If I wanted an Atari, then... We pray to the Atari God. And so, so, so Jeremiah said from God, this is what he said. I got this sign. This is a verse. Maybe you can see it up here better. This hangs on my wall every day. Because Jeremiah, back 2,600 years ago, Kevin talked about it last week. The Israelites were going to be led into captivity. God was leading them into captivity. God knew this was happening. God led them there. So God is leading us today. So Jeremiah's words for Israelites 2,600 years ago are just like ours words to us today. And this is my rendition of this verse. This isn't exactly what the Bible says. But here's what Jeremiah was telling them, and here's what I'm telling you. Do you know that you are God's chosen children? First off and foremost, he chose you before before you have a chance to choose him. And he says, blessed are you sons and daughters? Blessed are you, my children, that I chose. If you put your confidence in me, if you put your trust in me, then you're not going to wilt. You're not going to fall over. You're not going to fear. You're not going to give up when something down life comes. Because God knows life's always coming down. How about it says, when heat, when heat comes, trouble happens, problems rise. You take your heat, figure it out. Take your problems. What Everybody has this right here, heat and trouble and problems. Everybody has that in life. So who you're going to trust, the God of sports or the God of of food or the God of sun, or are you going to have your confidence in the one and only Lord Jesus Christ? How about when life stinks? You know, sometimes you kids, maybe mom and dad has to take another job in a different state. You're in first grade or second grade and you got to move you got to leave your friends behind. That stinks. That's when life just stinks. Also, when disaster hits or anxiety heightens, we've been talking about this since COVID came. 
Disaster, businesses are shutting down. Disaster, your anxiety. What if I don't get my job back? What if I don't get, what if I get sick? And what if I, what if I, what if I? How about when darkness falls? You know, I want you kids, adults can do this too. I'm speaking to kids, but here's how close darkness is to you today. It's a sunny day, go outside. Stand there and look at your shadow. Here's my shadow from these lights right here. When you look, there's darkness right here in that shadow. That's why it's called a shadow. When you focus on this shadow, then everything looks dark to you. I ask you to turn around and look at the sun or look at the production of light, whatever that light is to make that shadow. That's how close darkness is to us. When we look at the light, who is Jesus Christ, our comforter, our redeemer, our savior, our provider, when we look at that light, you don't see that darkness. But it's still there. Yep. It's still there. But what are you going to focus on when these things come? How about dreams that end? You know, you might have had a dream for a great marriage, and it ended. Maybe you had a dream for having a relationship with your mom, dad, your, your kids, and it just didn't turn out. Those are dreams that end. So Jeremiah tried making the point very, very clear. 2,600 years ago, God placed his Israelite people in the middle of exile, in the middle of a pagan country. Kevin said last week, Jeremiah 29, I led you into exile. I led you into exile. I led you into exile. This is what God's doing. Do you understand? He's leading us into exile because God's plan has never changed from the beginning of the time. I want my children that I choose to be blessed. I want them to live in exile. I want them to live where people don't know who Jesus is. And I want you to show them what the kingdom of God looks like. His plans never change. So Jeremiah said, blessed are you sons and daughters if you put your confidence in me. You'll be like a corn plant. It quits being lazy, but puts roots down deep. You'll be like a tree by the water who puts its roots down deep. You'll be, you do that because you won't fear, you won't wilt, you won't fade, you won't fall over, you won't give up. So that your leaves will always be green. No matter what you're going through in exile, you will produce fruit like that corn plant wants to do. It's the only goal in his life. Produce fruit, produce fruit, produce fruit. And if you understand, we are children of God and we've been placed here to produce fruit in the hard stuff, you will flourish in exile. I'm going to have Kevin come up. I think he's next. Let's pray. You know, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, the Trinity. You know, you have placed us in exile because we're your children, but you've also promised us you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, you're always there. So God, as we leave this place, when the shadows of darkness are right on our tail, right on our heels, when, when dreams end, when disaster strikes, when anxiety heightens, when this world throws us curveballs and we try and hit those, Lord, you make it very clear that we're blessed if our confidence is in you. You make it very clear that, our, that if we trust in you, we are blessed children of the King. I thank you, God, 
It sounds weird, I know, but I thank you for our trials that we step into. Because those trials bring us closer to you. You have always wanted a unity with us. You've always wanted to be in union, in one together. Sin, I know, pulls that apart, but Jesus Christ puts that back together. So I look forward to the time that we aren't living in exile, that we are in our home with you, God, Lord and Savior, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We love you. In your precious name, amen. I think we should just go home. <laughs> we had a thank you, Tim. Great job. Thank you so much. The creativity of our church family is a beautiful thing. I wonder if I could have a slide two. I'm going to try in the next few minutes to review where we've been these last 10 months. And then the next six weeks, we're going to celebrate together something around the idea of hope. But let me review a little bit where we've been, and then I'm going to show you where I'd like to go in about 20 minutes, and then I'll do a little bit of teaching in between. Just reminding you, so for the past year, we have used this as our strategic plan, picture, and also our core value diagram. So last week I talked about on the outside, our theme for the next two years is flourishing in exile. We have four core values, intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. And as staff, we're trying to create opportunities and ways where these values get deeply embedded in us. The idea of a word and spirit people has been influencing us since 2002. We're trying to follow God's word and the power of his spirit, becoming more like Jesus and the kingdom. And in the middle of the ends policy, and this is the thing at which I am evaluated, we as a staff are evaluated. This is what our leaders are always asking for, looking for, uh, evaluating and holding us accountable. So at the core of a who we are as a church are three things. And this is what we've been talking about since January, very specifically, and the idea of flourishing in exiles, three specific measures. Are we a people who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit? The second measure is, are we a people who are living in intimacy with the triune God? And the final one is, are we growing in an ever-increasing sacrificial generosity? So we've looked at those things over this past years, specifically this year, and I want to go through those things very, very quickly, ending with stories. But can I have slide number nine, please? So what I'd like to do, if I'll go relatively quickly in review, I wonder if we could have a little bit of conversation at home, in the auditorium, texting friends if you're alone or here, around this idea and what ways you've been flourishing in exile. And before I ask you to do that, I'm going to share some stories. So could I invite you, please, first open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 15. And as you do that, can I have the picture of the, of the fruit, please? Tim did such a beautiful job. So I'm going to try to give three images uh, that they just speak, briefly, quickly describe what we're talking about. So here is obviously fruit in a vine. So in September of last year, we started with John chapter 15 and these few verses. 15 verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. That's what Tim was talking about. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. 
love each other. So what I tried to do last year was set up the idea that as exiled people, our first opportunity is to bear the fruit of the Spirit. So these are, the th- these are three bullet points that I used last year in September. We are called to bear the fruit of the Spirit, listen, as a testimony to who Jesus is and what his kingdom looks like. In the midst of all the conversations and all the stuff around COVID and race and all those things, we are asked to be a people who look and act like Jesus and bring his values. And so the values would be the fruit of the Spirit. So having looked at John 15, remember we went to Galatians chapter 5. And then for nine consecutive weeks, we said these things. The fruit of the Spirit are love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If we're going to be people who bring the life and witness of Christ and his kingdom, people should see that in us. So one of the things I've been trying to invest in us, impact us toward is, are you a person who is bearing this fruit in these past months? I said this last, last September. Why the fruit of the Spirit as one of the measures of our church? These dispositions and virtues reflect the very character of Jesus. Let me push you one step farther. Someday, in a new heaven and new earth, when Jesus comes back, he judges, makes all things right, and there is a new heaven and new earth. Listen now, you and I will interact with every single person in this new heaven and new earth in this way, with everyone. We will experience love from everyone. We will give and share joy with everyone. We will experience peace from everyone. And so the opportunity we have now to flourish in exile is to be a people who actually look and act and sound like Jesus. So Jesus said, abide in me and my words abide in you. You will bear much fruit. Well, then we move to a picture, kind of the picture of the, of the Trinity, please. And I went to a, a series, and this picture on the frame, on the, on the screen, is one of, we've got scores of beautiful pictures from the congregation. I want to say thank you. This is the one we chose, and here's a picture of the circle of love. So near the bottom, can you see briefly one, two, three big letters? Those are the Hebrew, that's that's the Hebrew name for God. That's that's Father. Right above it, the, the crown, that represents Jesus. And then obviously the dove is the Holy Spirit. So we talked together about this idea that the Trinity is the circle of love. Read a couple sentences, and I'll look at a couple verses. Two sentences, and this is so interesting to me. Remember, I I did this exaggeration, but it wasn't exaggeration. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give a a big picture. So for many of us, God the Father is like our earthly father. That's how we see God the Father. Jesus, God the Son, is up in heaven somewhere, but he's not here. We acknowledge his goodness, his sacrifice, his life, covering our, yes, but he's gone. And then we have the Holy Spirit, and for many of us, it's, 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 I don't know what that means exactly. So what I said to you back months ago was the actual, the circle of love is this relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. Listen now, in the Trinity, it is filled with joy. The Trinity is happy. The Trinity is creative. The, tri- the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are mutually submissive. I used phrases like this. As Father, Son, and Spirit living in a fellowship, God is essentially eternally happy. 
the Father, Son, and Spirit live in conversation in a fellowship of free-flowing togetherness, sharing beauty and delight. It is passionate and full of love and strength and joy and submission. And then, do you remember what I said the second weekend? We spent seven weeks on this. This is what I said in the second weekend. The Father, listen to this carefully now. Everybody, listen to me. Why did God create us, humankind? Go back to the picture. If this this is this, we we can't even depict the joy of the the Trinity, the love, the submission, the greatness. The reason humans are created is to become part of this. That's why God created us. Listen to this. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created the human race so that together we could share life with Father, Son, and Spirit so that we could live in this circle of love and then we could go with others and invite them into the same circle of love. Mike said something really interesting as he led us in, in prayer of confession. I want you to think about the circle of love. Listen carefully to me. The scriptures are clear. If you have been chosen, adopted, and called into the family of God, listen carefully, you cannot, you cannot be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. If you have been elected, called, invited in to the circle of love, you will always be in the circle of love. I want you to think about COVID and all the challenges we're facing now. If you understand you are in the circle of love and you will always be in the circle of love, think how differently we can live with each other. All of a sudden, the conversations around, let's just talk about race. Someday in heaven, there are going to be people, according to scriptures, from every background, every color, every tribe, and every nation. Listen carefully, and we won't all be speaking English. Whatever a person's ethnicity is, that is what will be in heaven. And yet all these people will be one. And together we will experience love and joy and peace and patience, and we're invited in the circle of love. So let's go to John chapter 14. Can you turn over to John 14? For seven weeks we spent time in John 13 through 17. Let me just give you a couple quick verses because I want to keep moving towards stories. John chapter 14. Look at verses 15 through 25. And just look at the dance between the Father, Son, and Spirit in these few verses. There are multiple places. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father. Here's the Father. Jesus is speaking, so Jesus speaks. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Father, Son, and Spirit. Verse 16. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 20. On that day you realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Can I have this kind of picture again, please? Look at the picture. Look at the verse 20, 20 again. On that day, you will realize that I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. Folks, that's where you live right now. 
If you are a, you are believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He's called you out of darkness into light, you are in that circle now. And that's why St. Paul writes, Romans 8, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Remember Ephesians chapter 1, 1 verse 3 to 5. St. Paul writes, we have been chosen, adopted, predestined in, listen, before the creation of the world. That is where you live. Do you realize that is your home? Remember what I told you months ago? Second century scholars, second century. They said any follower of Jesus who does not have a, 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 a doctrine of the, of the Trinity will live in fear and anger and accusation. Fear is rampant. Anger is rampant. And I'm going to come back and say, because people are not understanding, we live in the circle of love. And people who live in the circle of love should be expressing what? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. That's what people should see. Why? Because this is where we live. This is our home, now and forever. We have been invited in. And this is the place in which we live. Well, then, because of that, we become a generous people. So I used this phrase about two, two months ago. The love of money wounds the worshiper, woos them away from faith, and wells up in all sorts of evil. Would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. And Jesus, I used this first, the first time, the first week we went into this, in this idea of generosity over a six-week period. Tom and Phil have joined me in teaching in that. Look at 19 through 24. So Jesus says to those he loves, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. This is the verse I said over and over and over. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now, let me read one sentence to you. Can you look up here? and read one little paragraph about that, about that one verse. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. He said, for where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And we often read that and say, well, where my heart is, that's where my treasures go. Maybe. How about this? Jesus makes the opposite point. Where you put your stuff will determine where your heart goes. Contrary to our expectations, Jesus declared that if we obey him by investing in his, his kingdom, then our hearts will be moved toward his kingdom. Our practice of giving shapes our hearts for the king and his kingdom. This practice, this exercise of spiritual, of heart formation is essential because, to, listen now, there are kingdoms violently at war for our hearts. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. And I added for you several weeks ago, or Pharaoh. I got, I got scores of emails from people who said they had never, ever considered that their phone has become their master. People, it never dawned on people, they are slaves. 
So Jesus said, wherever, we're in, wherever we put our stuff, wherever we put our, that, that's where we go. So how about this picture, slide seven. So then I just said, well, this, this is a wonderful picture that Chrissy Kramer found. How about if generosity, look, look, now look at all the images. We talked about all kinds of stuff as we talked about generosity. We talked about worship. We talked about community. We talked about equity. We talked about opportunity. We talked about creation care. We talked about rest. We chose this picture because here's something so simple. One person has gloves, the one, one does not. Whatever have, has is being shared. And do you remember the, the, the key image I used throughout that six-week series? The kingdom of God is not a soup kitchen. It's a potluck. And if, and if, if we are bearing the fruit of the Spirit and we live in this circle of love, we can say to those outside the circle and those who don't have what they need, we can say to them, we want to be generous and we want you to participate. And it's not like this or like this. It's like this. Wherever our hearts go, they are connected to where our treasure is already located. So, that brings me to stories. You ready for some stories real quick? And then I would like you to share some stories. I gotta go really fast. Oh my, here we go. Some of these are public, and because if they are public, I will name the person. So one particular has been on church Facebook, others are not, so I'm gonna hold those in confidence. So someone who, a business owner who has gone through great challenges this year, great challenges. Challenges because of decisions they made before COVID, challenges around COVID, and now the, the realities of our economy right now. They made, they took a risk of faith, and this has been incredibly stressful. In the midst of it, they were praying together and they heard the Lord say, there are great things ahead for you. They said, we don't know what it means. We're not sure it means more money or a successful business but we are trusting in the Lord to fill in the gaps. And then they went on a trip. And I had just the Sunday before talked about we invite people to potluck. This is a family whose business is not doing well. And as they traveled, they had the potluck idea in their minds. And every time they had lunch or dinner, one of the partners, the spouses, said to me, the smallest tip that I saw the check writer or this credit card signer give, the smallest check, the smallest tip was $80. And the bottom it says, we are striving to be potluck people. How about this one? A mom with a child with special, with uh, health conditions. I, I was praying, asking the Lord about the declaration, the governor's declaration, educators need to prepare for in-school sessions, knowing my son has a medical condition. I began to pray, and I heard the Lord say to me, I am with him. And then this mother writes, what God promised was, my, was his presence with my son, which is better than any answer I have to what will happen when he goes back to school. Someone who has battled incredible medical and emotional challenges since 2002. In 2002, this person said, I, th I thought I committed the unpardonable sin. And for about 15, 17 years, racked racked with deep emotional, relational pain, thinking he was damned to hell. He's having these powerful experiences with the Lord. Long, long email. And at the end he writes, I still have wounds, uncertainties, and doubts. But what happened recently in a class here 
in small group discussion around scripture has changed my life in ways I cannot imagine. I believe the Lord hears my voice, is on my side. In fact, this might even be a call of war for me. Maybe I need to be a person who moves forward with the kingdom. And he writes, the process seems to be repentance, rest, quietness, and trust. A single person who's gone through some great challenges. Living alone has been very difficult through COVID. It's been hard. I'm taking time to listen and hear what God wants me to do and be. I'm learning to believe who I am. I'm finding my identity in Christ. The most important lesson is that God has been with me all the way through COVID. Medical practitioner, we see a far bigger purpose in our work, our medical work. We are to be light in life for people who are stressed. Listen, listen to the quote. We are to be light in life for people, patients who are stressed out of their minds and filled with fear. Our narrative has not changed. Our God is still on the throne and we have a chance to experience it, to join in. We treat every single patient as though she or he is a child of God. This is the one you perhaps see us on Facebook, Lori Kramer. Her dad was dying in Wisconsin. They could not interact because of COVID and all those things. Every week she had a set FaceTime with her dad, beautiful time of reading in scripture. He died while the whole family was on FaceTime with him. But then her email continues, and perhaps you know the story. Because she could not visit her dad, she began to write notes to her dad with pictures from Pella. But then she said, why do I just keep it to my dad? Why not all the people who are with my dad? And then she started writing for people in Pella. So in four months, she has written over 600 personal notes to people who are stuck in their places of care, and no one can talk to them. 600, a business owner. When COVID came, my, my spouse and I made a decision to keep all our employees. We keep them employed for 40 hours, even though our business dropped 30%. We trusted God had planned, kept faith. We kept moving forward, and things are beginning to turn around. Stephen Henderson, Dr. Stephen Henderson, whose daughter has this incredible illness, only 400 children in all of America have this. You've heard him speak about it. I wish you could see this picture. Just if you can just imagine, here's a series of steps. The three older children are here, and here's Estella. Let me read what he wrote me. He said, we uh, had great victories and great defeats. The great victories, uh, Monday, the doctors in du at Duke University said she's showing positive signs of growth. She surprised us all. She proceeded to crawl up almost all the stairs. A year ago, the doctors told us she would never be mobile. Monday, we told she was delayed. And then she defies the odds and crawls up the steps. Well, the story goes on. In the midst of victories and defeats, he sees the presence of God. They see the presence of God and they keep praying. This last one comes from Monica Neundorp and the story with her son, Kyle. This is public. Um, so this is interesting to me. So she went through a class here called Freedom. It's a class to be free from that which has bound us, to live in the power of word and spirit, to become the person God has called you to be. She attends the class. Let me just read this. This is really interesting. Last November, I attended the class. I was recipient of beautiful cleansing, healing prayer. I went home for the desire to claim freedom that had been prayed for me and to listen to the spirit. 
Over the course of the next week, I felt the Spirit was asking me to practice the discipline of fasting, which was foreign to me. And the purpose of my fasting was to pray for my children, three adults, sons, and their wives. Although I didn't know much about fasting, I wanted to be obedient, so I began abstaining from food on Mondays. Whenever I would think about food, hear my stomach growl, I'd pray for my children. At the beginning of this experience, I felt the Holy Spirit say, the word I want you to cling is contend. Somehow in my fasting and praying, I was contending for my children. I felt God gave me a specific time frame, six months. Those six months ended on Memorial Day 2020. A few weeks later, at Vermeer, Kyle's heart stopped. I think I can say this accurately. I think Kyle died. Kyle is now alive. And she said, I, was, I realized my praying and fasting is I had been contending for my children six months before something happened. Is it possible that God was leading me to engage in spiritual warfare over my son, over, his, over the accident? God only knows, but I do, have, I do know we have no answers to why his heart stopped and why all the other issues in the hospital are being addressed. I do know that God performed unbelievable miracle after miracle. And then she writes, was God calling me to partner with him by fasting and praying so that we could flourish in exile? So my question to you, can I have slide number uh, nine, please? Can we just take a couple minutes, like two or three, if you're willing, if you've been around and you're mindful of this, in what ways have you been flourishing in these past 10 months? And at the end, we're going to spend some time in prayer. So could you take, if you're willing, if you don't want to, you don't need to. If you don't feel comfortable getting close to someone, just pray. So one, two, three, if you're willing, share. Thank you for beginning to, to share together. 
Let me conclude with a story. Uh, a favorite book is called The Cherry Tree. I don't, can't say the author's name. It's D-A-I-S-A-K-U-I-K-E-D-A, Japanese. The story is set in post-war Japan. Countries in this area is destroyed. And two little children come upon an old man who is trying to nurse a barren tree back to life. At first, the kids are really puzzled. Why would this man want to be trying to do something with a dead tree? When they inquired this, to this old man, he said this, It's true the tree hasn't blossomed since before the war. But one day, with a little kindness and patience, it may again. Not in my lifetime, perhaps, but one day, I'm sure this tree will flourish. The children, inspired by the old man's devotion and hope, agree to join him in his efforts to nurse the old tree, the tree back to life. They work hard, kind of what Tim was talking about, but much of their time was just spent waiting and hoping and watching and seeing nothing happen. And then one day, a single petal emerged. And very slowly, the petals came out. And the tree lived. And the tree blossomed. We are like trees planted by streams of living water. So in due time, we bear much fruit. As post-Christendom continues to move forward, we can be people who look and act and sound like our King. Amen? Lord, we want to say thank you that you've invited us into this circle of love. You've invited us to be a different people, a people who look like you. And so we pray that your kingdom might come and your will might be done. Remind us, Lords, that Good Friday precedes Easter. Graves always precede gardens. So we pray you be honored as we follow you in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.